right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Matthew chapter 4. We'll start in verse 18 and we'll get here uh, shortly. Um, And so a few weeks ago, I just kind of shared with you uh, what I felt like God had pressed upon my heart. I'm fresh off of sabbatical and um, just really good time away with the Lord and uh, time of refreshing and just pressing in. Um, I felt like the question that God was just very intentional with me about was, Scott, do you trust me? Do, do you really, really trust me? Because I, I don't know about for you, but for me, there, there's been times in my walk where I'm like, oh, maybe, I don't know if I trust you in this one, God. I mean, I know you're the sovereign of the universe. I know you've created. I know that you've made, you've formed, you've fashioned. I know that you have done amazing things just by speaking into existence. But guys, I don't know if you've got this situation or the circumstance. And I don't know if you've, you've been there, and, and even this morning as, as I've read the scriptures this, this morning to us during worship in, in Matthew 28, where it says in Jesus, or verse uh, 17, it says, and they saw him, and they worshiped, but what? Some doubted. And, and so I don't know if, if you've ever been in that place, or maybe you're in that place now where there's some doubt, or there's some struggle, or there's some issues. And, and I just want to say this, if we can just breathe out for a moment, it's quite all right to be in that place. Some worshiped and some doubted. And and I have a feeling once God showed himself, once Jesus showed himself, that doubt quickly kind of dissipates. Or or that's what I've learned in my life. And and so as I was just thinking this week and praying and um, and just just studying and looking at that that question again that has just just plagued me over the last few months. God, do you trust me? Do you you really, really trust me? Because there's been some tough times. And, And you can probably attest to that too in your life. I mean, there's been some tough times tough, daggum tough times. Like, like October will be four years for me here as lead pastor. And, and, and as I was thinking about that, as I was just kind of reliving some of that over the last few months, we're in a, we're, I mean, we're coming through a COVID year and we don't know what the future holds, right? I mean, there's this new variant, there's all this stuff. I mean, we don't know. Coming through that, probably the sweetest time for me being pastor here in this church out of those four years was a COVID year. Like, honestly, like our world faces a pandemic and everything's falling apart out there. And you would say that's the sweetest time of pastoring has been in that. It's just kind of let you know some of the areas and some of the things that I've been through and worked through and walked through. And so that question is, God, do you trust me? And coming through that and being here today, I mean, four years of God's faithfulness and getting to see that. And get an experience that and walk that. And, and so he asked me that question, God, do you trust me? And, and how could I ever say no? Because I've got story after story after story in my own life, not to mention the scriptures. I mean, where God has been faithful and good. And, and he blesses. And, and I don't mean blessed to, to, to make us feel better about ourselves, but, but blessed to show us his glory and his honor. That's, and I'm just, so as I wrestled and as I looked at that, as I, and as I've, I've walked through that over the last few months, what I want to do this morning is I just, I just want to ask you that same question. Do you trust God? And I want to continue walking out that thought. I want to continue to just kind of unpack that a little bit. And so do you trust him? And I mean fully trust him in every area of your life, every facet of your life, from the smallest of details to the greatest of details. From what seems to be very insignificant to what maybe would be the most significant thing in your life. Do you fully trust him in your life? And so corporately, that's us here as the church, here at New Life, corporately for us. Over the next few weeks, I just want to set before you what I believe God has just pressed on my heart for us here at New Life. 
where it's going to take a level of trust, where it's going to take a level of faith, a level of belief. And I want to invite you to, to pray about it, to really press into what the Lord has, has asked us and what he's entrusted to us as his church and his people here in New Life. And some of it may seem easy and simple, and some of it may seem very difficult and hard. But I want to invite you to, to be a part of that, to pray about that. So what's going to happen is the next few weeks, we're just going to look at what he's outlined in his word and what he's challenged us in the area of trust. We're going to walk through some of that, especially as it pertains to desires and time and, and energy. And maybe even, maybe even our perception of what we think church should be. Maybe even he'll challenge us there. Well, we've always done it this way. Or we've, maybe we should do it that way. Or what, you, can't, you can't do it. Why can't we? Why can't we let God be God and us just follow and be obedient and trust him? And so I want, I want God to just work us over and challenge us. And I believe that some of the things that we're going to look at, some of the things that we're going to talk about, is going to stretch us to the max. I believe he's going to take us further than he's ever taken us. And he's going to show us and he's going to invite us in and ask us to be a part of. Will we be obedient and follow or will we play it safe? It's going to cause us to have to step out on faith. It's going to cause us to have to trust. And I'm wanting, and this is what, I don't know about you, but this is what I pray. I, I pray like God-sized stuff. Like, like I want him to do crazy stuff that only can be explained by a move of God. Uh, not because we just got together and we planned and we thought hard enough or we pulled our resources together enough where you've got this and you've got this. Let's see if we can get some duct tape and put that together and let's do this thing. No, I, I, like, I want it to be, uh, the only way that we can explain it is because God stepped in and did something. Not because we're smart enough or not because we're, we're cute enough or not because we did this little thing enough, but, but because we beg God to move and do something. And he heard the cries of his people and he steps in and he moves. Th that's what I'm talking about, church. That's what I'm praying about. So what I want to do is I want to ask you to join me this morning as we pray and then we'll continue on this journey this morning and see where God takes us. But I'm going to ask you if you would, you would join me this morning. Let, let's pray. Father, we need you. God, I acknowledge that I need you. And so, Father, I ask you this morning as we open up your word and as we look at this challenge that you have placed in your word, God, that you would stir in us. God, that you would challenge us, that you would stretch us, Father, that you would convict us of sin and that we would repent and that we would turn and run to you. And God, that we would be obedient. Father, what we're looking at this morning is some of the simplistic things that you have outlined in your word. But as simplistic as they are, the depth and the meaning and the truth and the reality behind it God, the fellowship in it is difficult because it costs us us. And Father, what I know of me and what I know of people is that we love us far too much and don't love you nearly enough. So God, do a work in this place. God, I beg of you. God, not a word that I have to say will make a difference. The only thing that will make a difference is you moving and speaking and doing. So God, we invite you in. We beg you to do to do work in this place this morning for your glory and for your honor. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so what I want to do over the next few weeks is this. I just want to talk about vision and mission. Uh, but more importantly about our vision and our mission here at New Life. What it needs to be. What we need to look at. What we need to be about. And so when I say vision, what I'm talking about is, is where we're headed. Uh, where are we going? What, what do we want to accomplish? What do we want to do as the local body of believers? So for us here at New Life Baptist Fellowship, what does that mean for us? That's what I'm talking about when I talk about vision. When I talk about mission, it's, it's how we get to the place of where we're going. 
This is what we want to do. This is where we're headed, and this is how we get there. That's mission. Mission is the vehicle that takes us to the place that God has called us. It's how we accomplish our vision. It's how we live out our vision. That's what mission is, and they come together beautifully to be worked out for his glory and for his honor. And so today, in the next few weeks, we're just going to, I just believe it will be a monumental time for us as a church. I just believe it'll be a very, very big deal for us as God's people, as his church, as it pertains to New Life Baptist Fellowship. It'll just set the very direction for us from now on. Everything that we do, everything that we look at will be run through this filter. Everything. And so I just believe it's God asking us if we'll trust him, if we're willing to enter into and do what he's asked us to do. And so one of the reasons why I believe it'll be such a monumental big deal over the next few weeks is because of the day that we're living in. I mean, just look at our world. It's falling apart, is it not? It's crazy out there, is it not? I mean, people's hopes and desires. I mean, just think about it. I mean, the world's always been falling and broken. And it just seems like, I don't know about you, but just me kind of setting back and just kind of watching and seeing and just assessing where our current world is, the current state of our world. The brokenness and the darkness just keeps to continue to get worse and worse, does it not? It just continues to get darker. It just continues to get worse and worse and more fallen and more depraved. You, you, you just see that lived out in our world today. And so I believe one of the big reasons is because of that. I mean, when it comes to truth, my goodness. I mean, our culture and our world doesn't believe in an ultimate truth. Whatever's true for you and right for you, then brother, sister, do that. Whatever's true and right for me, then I'm just going to do that. And if our truths and our don't match up, well, then you just kind of go your way and do your thing, and I'll go my way and I'll do my thing. And, and, and I mean, just truth, truth can't be the same thing for everybody. It, there's just no way they can work like that. Your truth and my truth, and if they kind of get along, then we'll go with it. But if not, then you just, no ultimate truth. I mean, that's the world we're setting in right now. I mean, that's anti-Bible. That's anti-Scripture. No, we just, you just can't say something that's right or wrong because what happens? And it's judgmental. Well, your truth may not be my truth, and so I don't have to say. No, there is one ultimate truth. That's what we believe. That's why we gather here. That's why we open up these Scriptures. Why? Because that's the truth we believe. We believe the Creator of the universe has spoken, and as He's spoken, He's told us what's right and good. And we do it. That, that's, that's the way that we are called to live and be. And you can call it judgmental. You can call it hard-hearted. You can call us bigots. You can call us zealous. You can call us whatever you want to call us. But we believe there's a right way to live. And, and, and church, there, there's a call to holiness. Like we don't get to live and do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it, wherever we want to do it, whenever we want to do it. No, no. God has set a standard, and a standard is good. We need it. I mean, because look at our culture and our world. Left alone, what happens? We go crazy, do we not? We act ridiculous, do we not? When left alone, we need something to guide us and direct us. And so there is ultimate truth. And that ultimate truth comes from the Word of God. The one who is created, the one who is made, is the one who sets what that truth is. Another just kind of thought, worldly thought is this, is that emotions and feelings dictate everything. What do you feel? Franklin on the piano, come on. What do I feel? Give me something good to make. Emotions and feelings are a good, great gift of God. But we can't let that drive us and direct us and dictate us. What were you feeling last year about this time? About people, about things, about stuff? What about five, good gosh, five years ago? I mean, think about that for a moment. 
feelings and things that we allow to dictate and drive us and push us to where we're at today? I mean, how feelings come and go, do they not? I mean, have you ever done that? Like, you've just, you've just woken up and, and my wife, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm in a great mood. What are you talking about? And then by, by 11 o'clock, like, I am bubbly and I'm just like, ha, ha, ha. I know I'm like that most of the time. But, you know, I'm like, and I've done nothing different. My gosh, our emotions are crazy, are they not? And they run wild. And we're going to let that dictate us and drive us? But that's what the world says. Whatever's good for you, however you feel in this moment, whatever feels best for you, you just do what feels good for you, man. You deserve it and you should. And that's anti-scripture. That's anti-Bible. We can't allow emotions and feelings to dictate. Truth dictates. God dictates. He gives direction. What about this one? I mean, another just current state of our world, relationships are probably at their most all-time shallow level. We're friends with everybody, so ultimately we're friends with nobody. We're as deep as our past post. We are as known as we want to be, and what that has done is allowed us to enter into relationships in a way that is damaging and damning and destroys and looks anti-scripture. I mean, that's great that you've got five million followers or 3,000 friends that are your BFFs and they heart everything that you do. But is that truly a relationship? Is that truly how you're going to live your life? That's not how God outlined it or dictated or said that we should be. And, but that's just where our world's at. They're shallow. Another thing is that there's a lack of commitment to anything, is there not? I mean, this cancel culture... Anyway, I'm not saying that we shouldn't avoid certain things. But anyway, we will never reach people that we're not around. And we need to practice wisdom and discernment. And there's just certain situations and circumstances that you just can't handle being around, so you shouldn't be around that. But hear me, we don't catch sin from sinners. We are sinners. It's in us. It's innate in us. And we're trying to kill that every moment of every day. So we don't just build a wall around and we never do anything. No. We're called to reach our world. We're called to go after our world. We're, we're called to be committed to what we can handle and what we can be a part of. So, so we, need to, we need to do that. We need to, but our world lives in a place that's just not committed to nothing. If I don't feel like it anymore, I'll just get out of it and move on or find something else. The grass is green on the other side, but what you don't realize you have to cut it there too. And those pesky little weeds, they get everywhere, don't they? I mean, you can treat all you want to treat, but that neighbor of yours that's crazy and doesn't treat his yard, it's coming over, man. Same thing. Why? Because relationships is work. Because things work. It's difficult living the Christian life. I mean, just a skewed view of love. I mean, if you just look at how our world defines love, I mean, it's just it's so just jacked up and broken. And that list could go on forever, but you, you get the picture. That, that's the world we're living in. And so we as the people of God, history, we have the opportunity to do what? To enter into those places that are broken. And do what? Point to the one who can redeem and set right. And that's my heart and my hope in this. As we look at this, as we talk about this. And just my last little reason, then we'll, we'll jump into mission and vision and, and our scripture this morning. I think another reason is because if you just step back and you look for a moment, you can see the current state of the church. You can just see the current state, the direction of the church in today's world. And I don't want us to be that. I don't want us to continue down a road that, that God has never intended for us to go down. 
I mean, if you, the, the church has adopted so many of these mentalities and ideologies from, from the current world and the current culture. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we're not going to do stuff different and try to reach people, but I'm going to say we're going to stand on the truth and the Word of God. And everything, we, the message never changes, though methods do. And there's nothing wrong with that. The message is always the same. But the way that we get the message out may change and look a little bit different. But we never, hear me, we never compromise the message. We never compromise the truth. We, we never do that. And my fear is that the church has taken a turn. The church, it's so easy to get caught up in that. And so what does vision and mission do? It aligns us. It gets us back to the place that we need to be. It, it, it helps, it's a rallying point for us as the people of God more specific as it pertains to us here at New Life. So vision, what is our vision? Our vision is this, that we will reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. We want to be proactive in sharing the gospel and taking Jesus to the nations. And I think that we've done a better job this past year than we ever have and that I, that I know of is getting the name of Christ out, of going and sharing, reaching our world. And we want to continue to see that expand and grow. So our vision, reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Our mission is this, is to make biblical disciples in relational environments. That's what we want to make disciples. We want to make biblical, as you see outlined in the scripture, what does that mean? What does that look like? How, how does that pertain to us? What, how do we live this out? That's what we want to make biblical disciples in relational environments. And so our vision and mission, what does it do? It centers around the understanding of discipleship. Discipleship is the hinge that holds it all together. Discipleship is, is the vehicle that helps us accomplish our mission, that gets us to the place where we need to be. So this morning, what I think we need to do is we need to look at and define what a disciple is. We, we need to look at deeply and, and get aligned and, and, and walk in a direction as we go through our mission and vision that helps us understand, hey, this is the pivotal point that, that both of these hinge upon. This is how we accomplish and do and be. And so I don't know about you, but, but discipleship or disciple is a word that has gained so much traction over the last few years. It's a word that's thrown out there. It's on t-shirts everywhere. We have D-Now Weekends. You see discipleship is just gaining traction and popularity. And if you've grown up in the church or around the church, it's a word that you probably are somewhat familiar with or you've heard. I mean, there are tons of ways to define disciple, is there not? Let me give you a learner. A learner could be considered a disciple. A follower is a disciple. One who gives full loyalty and support to another, that's a way to define disciple. A devoted allegiance to the teachings of, that's a definition of disciple. And all those are right and correct and good. You can define disciple that way. But I want us to be more in depth. I want us to have a greater understanding of what that means and what that looks like for us in this room, for us as a body. And I want us to be able to be aligned as a church. So for us at New Life, when the word disciple is dropped, this is what it means. This is how we define it. This is how we understand it and we see from the scriptures of what a disciple is, what a disciple is outlined as. And it comes from the words of Jesus. So let's look at Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 18. I believe that this will help us accomplish this. Matthew 4, 18 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, he being Jesus, saw two brothers. And so I just, I just want to push pause there for a moment because I just love little nuggets like this that we see tucked into scriptures as, as we would normally just read about, okay, who are the brothers, who are the brothers, we just keep going. But the thing that we've got to look at is, is that we see Jesus here doing something. 
He's just walking along doing his thing, and all of a sudden he sees what? He sees two brothers. He saw something. Jesus is looking, is he not? Jesus is constantly looking. I, I played sports growing up, and um, there was this saying in football that you keep your head on a swivel because if not, you will get knocked into next week, brother. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know what I'm talking about. Like, you like to, like, look at those YouTube videos where, like, there's a big hit. Um, we, we play the NFL nowadays. You, you can't do that. Um, and, and I understand why. But, but, but anyways, like, back, back in my day, dude, they, they would, they would, they wanted your ear hole around your, over and snot bubbles come. It's just going to be, oh, if your feet came off the ground when you got hit, man, next, next week in practice, I mean, they are celebrating going crazy. They wanted your head on a sofa so you didn't get blindsided. So you didn't get knocked off your feet. So you didn't get turned upside down. So you didn't your helmet get flying off. That was the phrase that was coined. Keep your head on a swivel. And it's almost as Jesus goes and does as he lives. His head's constantly on a swivel. What? Because he's constantly looking. Constantly. For what? For people to engage, to invite in, to have conversation with, to share, to love, to care for, to correct. I mean, you see that constantly. And that's what we see early on in Jesus' ministry. He's doing it. He's looking. He is searching and looking. And my question for you is, how often do you do that? How often do I do that? How often are we looking to do what? To engage and talk and have conversation, gospel conversation, to lead people? I mean, who, I mean who's on your mind and your heart to engage? I mean, who have you seen? Who have you been looking at? Who are you looking for? See, see the thing that I love about this scripture and the thing that I love is I'm going to define discipleship for you this morning is this, is, 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 is how Jesus does it. See, see, my fear is that when we talk about discipleship or we think about discipleship, our mind automatically goes to a pastor or to a church leader. That's their job. That's what they're to be doing. That's what they're to go and make. But church, hear me. Jesus wasn't looking for a group of elites or professionals. I mean, have you seen the men and women in Scripture that he uses? Do I need to remind you of the man that he's about to call here, Peter? Just a few short years later, he's going to be doing what? Denying him and running off. He's going to be over by the sea doing his thing, and what? Jesus will come walking to him, and he's going to, finally he's going to pick up on, oh, dang, that's Jesus. He's back. And not to mention later on in the book of Acts, what he blows away because he goes back to that religious side of things, rules and regulations and Jews and Gentiles and we can't uh, and he's going to kind of drift back only to be called out by, by brother Paul I mean the people of the scriptures are train wrecks does God go after them man if that doesn't give you hope this morning I don't know what does uh, do I need to give you another one King David a man after God's own heart I mean the brother had committed adultery and, and had the husband killed only to have God look at him and say that he's a man after my own heart. I mean, I don't know how jacked up and messed up you are. I don't know if we can top that this morning. The Apostle Paul? God knocks him off of his horse? I mean, or off his donkey going to... The, he's killing believers. Like, he would love to have come in this room and take us captive. And many of us not make it to where he's going to take us to prison. And God uses that? I mean, I don't know what you've done this week. I don't know what mess-ups you've been involved in. Man, but God's grace and mercy to a heart that is repented and broken over sin, and there's no limits to what he can do. That's what Jesus is. Not a pastor who thinks he's got, and hear me, I don't think I have it all together. Trust me, I know I don't have it all together. 
I know I'm broken. I know that I have struggles. I know that I have hang-ups. I know the conversation that I had just three weeks ago with my, my, disi- my disciple guy of, of how, I man, I just, I, just uh, I just don't know, man. This pastoring's difficult. It's tough. It's hard. It's this. It's that. And he's like, Scott, that's a great place to be. Don't you ever leave from there. Oh, you're right. Because when I get this whole thing figured out, you're not going to want me. Because God's not going to be able to use me. That's what I'm saying. Because that's pride and that's arrogance. And the same thing goes for us. When you get this whole Christian thing figured out and this whole walk figured out and lick, man, you are at a very dangerous place that you've missed the warning signs months ago, years ago. No, no, no. He, he wants you broken and messed up and jacked up and aware of your frailty and fragileness. That's where he wants you. And who does he go after? He goes after them at that place. That's who he goes after. So he's not looking for an elite group of people. I mean, he's, that's not who's, he's not looking for varsity. He, he goes B-squad. Every time that's who he goes for. Looking for a group of guys that he could shape and mold into. And so I believe that everyone in this room, so for us as a church, this is what we believe, that you are just as a big proponent in disciple making as the pastor of the church or the student pastor or a trustee or a small group leader. That God has called us, every one of us that bear the name of Jesus into the ministry of discipleship. Every one of us. So if you're a follower this morning, you're called to make disciples. Not just a pastor, not just a guy because he can sing some worship songs, not just because you can open up the scriptures and articulate what the scriptures say. We should be, we should be uh, moving toward that maturity and that growth and that hunger for it, but we are called to make disciples. Sees the two brothers who are they, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were just doing their thing there. They're just uh, making their living, keeping up their, their life. And what does Jesus walks by and he does his thing. Look at verse 19, and he said to them, there he goes. Jesus starts talking. When Jesus starts talking, we need to take notice. Because right here, Jesus is going to say some monumental things about discipleship. Jesus looks at them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He engages them, does he not? He's very pointed about what he has to say to them. He is very pointed and intentional with them. And so for whatever reason, he goes after these two. And, and I just want to press you this morning because I believe God will put people in your circle of life to reach, to go after, to talk to, to be intentional with, to engage. See, Jesus is modeling for us what this discipleship process looks like. He looks to engage but it's not just surface level engagement because that's not just a, hey, brother, how you, how's the fish biting today? Okay, see ya. No, no, no. I mean, he goes right for it, does he not? I mean, hook, line, and sink. I mean, he, he goes for the heart, not surface level. I mean, think about what he asked him to do. Follow me. Follow me, he says. Uh, I mean, is, is that not crazy? These two boys out fishing, doing their thing, trying to support their family, trying to support themselves. Trying, I mean, this is their livelihood. And Jesus rolls up onto the scene and says, hey, hey, come on, follow me. And what does that mean? It means go wherever he goes. Do whatever he does. Act how he would act. I mean, is that not nuts? 
They, they didn't ask a question. They didn't, oh, what's it going to cost? Or is it going to be difficult? Or is it going to, I mean, we're we going to stay there. I mean, none of that stuff. They just, they drop and they go. And what we know is it costs everything to follow him. Let, let me ask you, if he asked you to follow him, would you? And I'm just going to press you this morning because you're a follower of Jesus, he already has. And apparently you've said yes to the invitation or you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, a believer, a born-again somebody, saint of God. And so it's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. Do I follow Jesus here? Do I not? And, and hear me, following Jesus happens in some of the most inconvenient times. I get it. I'm with you. Yes and amen to that. I mean, God, are you kidding? Couldn't it have waited till like two days? I mean, my, my calendar's free then. God, I mean, hello? You mean it's going to cost me that? I'm not going to get to sleep till then? I'm going to have to get up and go there. I'm going to have... Because he's something bigger than us. This discipleship thing, this following Jesus is much, much bigger than us. So much bigger. I mean, we have agreed and said yes to leaving everything that we know, everything that we love and value the most, to love and value him most. That's what we signed up for the day that we said yes to Jesus' invitation. Now, where I fall is I'm afraid that there's more people who think that they've said yes than have said yes. But that's just where I fall. And so my question for you, where are you at? Where do you fall? Are you following Jesus? Are you all in? See, I guess the thing that blows my mind is today that the church will barely be inconvenienced to half-hearted fellowship for Jesus. We'll barely be inconvenienced. We'll barely allow that to happen. I mean, my fear is that if, 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 if we open up the scriptures and we look at what God has said and what God has outlined for us, how many of us truly look like that? And the guy standing on the stage is asking himself that same question. Who am I pouring into? Who am I having dif difficult conversation with centered around the gospel? Who am I confessing sin to? Am I leading my family well? Am I praying with my boys well? Am I teaching them the scriptures? Am I, am I loving like Christ loved? Am I serving like Christ served? A a do I look like Jesus? I mean, what would this church look like and be like if, if it all looked like you? If everyone in this church was a disciple the way that you're a disciple. The way I'm a disciple. What would his church look like? So this is the scripture, verse 19 here, that I believe outlines for us what a disciple is. So I just want to walk through this quickly and then, then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up this morning. And if it hasn't stung yet, it's just going to continue to get better. So hang tight. Verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what I believe for us as a church outlines what a disciple is. And the first thing that we see there is follow me. There's that invitation to be a part of the family of God, to be a, a saint of God, to be redeemed, born again, to be saved. And, and I believe, and it's crazy that we have to do this, but I believe we have to do some work here. Because everybody believes in Jesus nowadays. Well, most people, I know we're kind of getting infiltrated with, with people from outside of our thinking and in different parts of the, the country and stuff like that. And so that kind of excites me because we're going to start to look different over the next few years, which just allows us to be the church all the more. 
So now we can really kind of identify and understand who people are and where they are now. I mean, it used to be when I first got here, uh, do you, yeah, brother, I believe. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't remember what that church's name is. Okay. Well, did you just start there? Well, I've been going there for about 15, 20 years. Okay. You love Jesus though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, why wouldn't I? Don't everybody? I mean, that's the state that we're in in the South. Good old brothers and sisters who went to church once a week because mom and dad did with no serious devotion and desire for the things of God and no serious devotion and desire to be obedient and to, to love the things that God loves and to follow after him wholeheartedly. There was none of that. It was just because I'm grandfathered in because granny went and she prayed three times a week. Or she did this, or, or granddad, or, or dad, or mom. Or why wouldn't they go to church on Sunday? That's just what you do. And we are fastly, fastly working out of that. Greatly is that starting to go away. And so this easy believism, southern type of salvation nonsense is about to be gone. And praise God for it. Because now we can get at it all the more. Now we can be serious and real. And so Jesus invites them in to be saved, to be born again. That's the first step of discipleship, to be, to be born again, to see yourself as sinful and in need of a Savior. And you enter into faith, a relationship with God through his son Jesus and the redemptive work that he accomplished on the cross. Him taking our sin and our shame and bearing it on himself on the cross. And him being the perfect sacrifice and offering to God. That's how we're saved. We are sinful and wretched and we see that and we know that and we understand that and we cling all the more to the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done and accomplished for us. That's the first step of discipleship. That's the first step. The second step is this. He says, follow me and I will make. The second step of discipleship. So you've got you to be a follower. You've got to be a believer to be a disciple. The second step is this. is I will make you. Who will make you? It, Jesus doesn't say that you will make or you'll try harder. Or you'll, no, no, no. God is going to make. Jesus is going to be the one doing the work through the Holy Spirit in us. That what you will be, you'll, I'll make you. You're going to be changed. The second component to discipleship is changing. There's going to be growth and there's going to be movement. You should look more and act more like Jesus every day than you did the day before, the year before, years before. I mean, if, if there is very little difference in you today than there was 15 years ago when you put your faith in Jesus or you believed, and there's very little change or difference, brother, sister, I love you enough to tell you, maybe you've not been born again. Because all I know right now is I have got, I have got a one-year-old that will continue to grow and progress, and he is sucking on a passy, and he is gnawing on that bottle like crazy, and he loves it, and he'll throw a fit, and he'll go crazy. And I've got a nine-year-old right now that doesn't suck a passy or take a bottle. He still goes a little crazy from time to time, but, but, but he's progressed past that. And the same thing should be happening to us spiritually. Why? Because what Jesus says here is I'm going to make you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to do a work in you whereby you look less like you, act less like you, be less like you. Why? Because we're not us anymore. We've been born again. We've been given a new heart. We've got new desires. And the only way that that happens is through the work of the Holy Spirit. So the second 
component of discipleship after being born again, being saved, which is a, a, a work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life to awaken them and open their eyes to the fact of their need of Jesus. The second work is this, is that, is that the Holy Spirit is going to work on changing us, shaping us and molding us more and more to the image of Jesus. And, and I just, I just want to Press here for a moment because when it, becomes, when it comes to becoming a disciple, age or knowledge doesn't necessarily equate to maturity. And God bless you for being in the church for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a mature disciple of Christ. We'll talk more about that later on. Just let that sit there for a minute and be praying. Okay, God, am I, am I not? Because change, church, change is going to be happening. If you're his, he loves you far too much to leave you where he found you. I mean, when was the last time you found somebody that adopted somebody? It was like, okay, but you're going to stay there and I may send you something every once in a while. I may come visit you here and there. But you're going to stay in the orphanage right now. But I thought you wanted to, you adopted me. I'm your, that's what the papers say, but I'm just going to leave you over there. I just, you stink and you look funny and it's, I'm, no. That's, that's foolishness, is it not? It's foolish to think that God would do the same thing to us. He doesn't. When he adopts us into his family, we become one of his. He loves us enough to come after us and to radically change us. Our desires, our longings, our yearnings, they're going to change. And if they've not changed, and I'm not saying we're not going to struggle. We're going to struggle. I mean, we're going to limp sometimes. We're going to be busted up and broken. It's going to happen. We are in a battle. And what happens when you're in a battle? You get busted up sometimes. But you're going to be different. You're going to learn to duck and to dodge when you need to learn to duck and dodge. You're going to learn to run when you need to run. You're going to learn to hit your knees when you need to hit your knees. He loves you far too much to leave you where he found you. And the third component, you're, you're saved. The second component, you're being changed. And the third component, I love this component. He says, I will make you what? What is Jesus going to make them? See, they, they were fisher boys. Now he's going to be, they're going to be fisher men. Fishers of men is what he makes them. And what that means is this, is that they're on mission with Jesus. They are on mission with Jesus. Where you're going, everything that you do, the sole purpose and the heart behind it is what is, I'm on mission with Jesus. So where you live, you don't just live there by accident. You may think that you kind of got a sweet deal and like those interest rates. Uh, no. There's a sovereign over the universe that says, man, this would be a great place for them. Where you work, no matter how bum your boss is or how great he is or how the environment, you're there for a purpose and a reason. You're on mission. We get to be on mission where we go, everywhere we go, everything that we do. That's part of being a disciple. Man, I'm saved, I'm being changed. Yeah, they're bums and they aggravate the mess out of me and they talk like they shouldn't. But man, I get to be a light in a dark place. And you know what? It beats me up and it busts me down and, and sometimes there's this drift, but I catch myself and I get to be plugged into the body and be rejuvenated again only to go, that's what's great about Monday, church. Get out there. Go crazy for the glory of God. That's what we get to do. That's what we get to be about. Man, I'm a disciple of the living God. I mean, I can't lose. I can't be defeated. I'm going to accomplish what he set out for us to accomplish. I'm going to be what he's called me to be. I get to, we're going to win. The darkness can't touch you. It can't defeat you. It can't, it can't win. I mean, I'm on mission with the most high king. 
I mean, I don't know what kind of security clearance you have right now, but, but let me tell you where mine lies. It's in heaven. It's eternal. I don't care. FBI, CIA, I mean, Army, or where, I don't care what you, Marine, the few, the whatever. I mean, I've got the King of Kings on my side. The Lord of Lords. Do whatever, do whatever you want to do. Bring it. Because you think, you, you think, and you coming at me and hurting me and trying to destroy me or trying to, God knows. He's going to work that out for his glory too. Bring it. Bring it. Sucker, bring it. Satan, that was for you. That's right. You are cool. Let's do it. So being a disciple is being on mission with Jesus. That mission is what? To make disciples. That's what he says in Matthew 28. That's what we read, right? Go make disciples of all nations, not pastors, not, not only professionals, not some of you that may be a little bit more uh, charismatic and crazy or, uh, no, 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 no. Followers, those who take the name of Jesus are called to make disciples. That's what he calls us to do, to be on mission with him, to invest, to train, to teach, to pour into, to correct, to hold accountable, to encourage, and that list goes on and on and on. And we do that by doing life together. Hear me. Everybody in this room is further along than someone else in your walk with Jesus. Everyone, in the, and if you're not, okay, our hope and prayer is that you get there as a believer. But if, if you're a believer in this room this morning, well, whether you've been a believer for 10 minutes or you've been a believer for 10 years or 100 years, you are further along in your relationship, which you should be, in your relationship with Jesus than someone else. And so you can be used by God. Again, the men and women he uses in Scripture. So we're called to go and make and to be. That's what we're called to be about. That's what we're called to be about. In verse 20, he says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And I mean, I love this. It's crazy to think that they, they dumped everything to go after Jesus. I sit there and I say that and I feel conviction when I say it. Because like we romanticize the men and women in Scripture. And we're like, oh man, they left everything. I couldn't do that. Well, then you're not a Christian. Because that's, that's salvation. Leaving everything. That, that, that's, no, Jesus is my only thing. Scott, what about your wife? I mean, she's great and all, but she's not Jesus. But what about your kids? They are lovely most of the time. Most of the time. But they're not Jesus. Well, what about it? It's not Jesus. What about, it's not worth it. And, and I love those human beings more than anyone else on planet earth. And I would give my life for in a minute. But I will not worship them. I will not follow them every single place, every single where, and do whatever, no matter what. No, Jesus is the one that I do that for. And him alone. Him alone. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. I just I love that. And going on from there, he saw, two, there he goes again, he saw two others, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. He does that thing again. He just, he just keeps looking, don't he? He just don't stop. Jesus was an overachiever, was he not? We should be overachievers. Jesus is building and doing something in the church, and he's called us to, be, to join him in that. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, what would you do right now if you knew that you, you couldn't fail? What would you do? I mean, if, if money wasn't an issue, if, if, if success wasn't, you would not fail. Guaranteed, what would you do? 
Well, the beautiful thing about being a follower of Jesus and being a part of his family is, is that's what we're guaranteed not to fail. And the beautiful thing is even when you think you're failing, you're really not because God can even use you in that because he's, he's bigger than us. His ways are better than our ways. I mean, he uses us even in our failures and our mess-ups and our mishaps. That's the glorious thing about God. That's what he does. As Jesus saying, keeps looking, engages people, and then look at what happens. Look at what these two boys do. Immediately they left the boat, and their father, they left daddy. You don't leave daddy. Not in that culture. They left daddy. I mean, there's an inheritance with dad. And there's security with dad. There is hope with dad. And they left him. Why? Because they found the one that's greater than dad. Church, that's what we're going after. That's who has invited us in to be a part of. They left the boat, their father, and they followed him. Same thing happens. So as the bank comes back up, more people are invited to follow him. As the bank comes back up, the question I want to ask you is this. Do you trust him? Have you trusted him in this area of your life? One of salvation, two of fellowship, three of purpose and meaning and direction. And are you a disciple? Can you check off and say yes to those questions? I mean, are, are you following him? Have you been born again? Are you alive in Christ? Are you being changed and shaped and molded? Do you feel conviction? Do do you feel that deep in your heart and your soul whenever you you do things that's contrary and and against who who God is and what he's commissioned and said for us to be about and do? Conviction is a good gift of God. I mean, none of us like discipline when we're in it, do we? But man, being a 30s, and my daddy's in here right now, and he spanked this boy. I know some of you think probably not enough. He'd probably agree. Man, I hated discipline as a kid. Even, like, I can remember there'd be times here and I would just, oh, I'd just tell my dad if I did that. And he'd give me the invitation, so anytime you want to jump, I knew better. None of us like discipline when we're in the middle of it. None of us likes the changing process because what happens in the changing process is, is what God is doing is he's extracting us and he's killing parts of us. And we like us far too much. And that's what the changing part is, is God killing and pointing out and pressing on areas that are far too much us-driven and not enough Jesus-driven. So you're born again, are you a believer, are you saved? And you know what the beautiful thing is? Maybe this morning God has opened up your eyes to the reality of what salvation looks like and means for you. And the greatest invitation is given is not by a guy standing on a stage screaming at you. But the greatest invitation is that small, still whisper of the Holy Spirit. Hey, why don't you come follow me? Why don't you be made whole in me? Why don't you join my family? Let me adopt you this morning. Let me make you alive. And you think you're living... And there is true life found only in me. So maybe that's the invitation this morning to your heart. But we have the Holy Spirit. And it's not something that a preacher can do. It's not something that, uh, that somebody can manipulate. It's only by the wooing of the Holy Spirit and the opening up of the eyes and the heart 
Oh, holy God. And so maybe for years you've thought you're something that you're not. I don't know. Or maybe you know that you're not. And maybe this is God's invitation. Or maybe it's one of those things that, man, there's some areas in your life that you need to be changed and you need God to press on and you need to find accountability for. Or you need to just be open and honest and real with Him and allow Him to change you. Maybe, just maybe it's that thought of mission. Like, what, what are you doing with who God's called you to be? What are you, where are you going? I mean, who are you sharing with? Who are you doing life with? Who, who are you? And, and I'm not just talking about Clemson football coming up or Carolina football coming up or, uh, or, or man, how did you shoot on the golf course? Or, or did you catch fish this weekend? Or, or how's the tires on your truck? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about meaningful, serious stuff. Being on mission with people. Sharing the gospel. The most dangerous thing that you can engage in is taking the name of Jesus to this world. The most fulfilling thing that you could ever be a part of is joining in with, on the mission with the church with Jesus Christ and going after to to invest your life into someone else. You, you want to leave a legacy and you want to make a name? You make a name for Jesus and that name lasts forever. I mean, 2021, baby. And this started way back when, when it was zero. I mean, God has always been moving and doing. That's the name that lasts. That's the legacy that will stand the test of time if we're on mission with Jesus. So, so why is this such a monumental thought or big deal for us today? And so if, if we could be honest, and I know it's church on a Sunday morning, so that's hard, but, but I would be doing you a disservice if I don't say and point to the difficult stuff where I think that we need to improve, where I need to improve, or I need to step up my game, or, or I need to beg of God to do a work in me. So now I want to put a little bit of salve on it for you for just a moment. And I want to say it's quite all right to be where you're at. Whatever I've said, whatever the Holy Spirit, not really what I've said, whatever the Holy Spirit said to your heart, whatever God has done in you this morning, if you're ticked and mad at me, great, glorious, that's God working. And if you're broken and about to fall apart, that is good news, that's God working. All I would ask is don't just sit there and feel nothing this morning. That's a dangerous place to be. So the salve I want to apply this morning to the wound that we just pulled back and we've dug into is this. It's quite all right to be where you're at. Just don't stay there. Just don't stay there. Allow the Holy Spirit to point out and to show and to do, and then you respond to Him. Who's the one that changes? Not me, not the church. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God who does the changing. So let Him do it. Submit. Allow Him to do the work. So what is the Holy Spirit pressing on your heart? What is He convicting you of? What is He encouraging you in? So over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to walk this out, flesh this out even more as it pertains to vision and mission. And we're going to beg God to do some crazy stuff around here this coming year. Beg Him to do. I mean, He's already, he's already done something crazy. I don't know if you're aware of it. I know I mention it all the time, but this after school thing. I mean, He's doing a crazy work, church. I believe He's got more on the horizon for us. He's nowhere near finished with us. The question is, will we step up to the plate and will we be true disciples of Jesus Christ? Father, help us this morning to feel the tension, to feel the conviction, to feel the drawing. And Father, I pray for that soul in here this morning that maybe doesn't know you as Lord. God, I pray that, that there wouldn't be fear to respond, that there wouldn't be worry. God, that the only thing they worry about is pleasing you. And Father, if this, today is a day of salvation, God, that you would draw and you would rescue and Father, for the brother or sister in this room that is saved, that just hasn't been living it out, God, I pray that conviction and encouragement would be there. 
God, I pray more than anything that us as a church would be serious about being disciples, about being on mission and vision with you. God, that we would seek to live out, that we would reach this world and that we would make disciples. God, that's our heart's desire. Help us. Help us accomplish it. But before we can accomplish it, we've got to be that ourselves. God, do a work. In your name we pray. Amen. These guys are going to lead us in worship and response. You stand. You be obedient to the Lord.